Science is a method, it's not like some kind of magic. And I think the more we can do to demystify it, the more we can kind of make science more a part of our lives and, and, and keep it in its, its proper place. Hey TEDx organizers, welcome to Solving for X. My name is Frederica Yosefov, and I'm this episode's guest host. I work on digital media and programming for TEDx, and in this episode, I'll be interviewing David Biello, TED Science Curator. In our conversation, David shares his experience curating at TED and provides some tangible takeaways to help bring quality science to your stage. So, um, to get things started, I, you know, David, can you please introduce yourself and kind of explain what you do here and how you do what you do here? Sure. Well, hello, everybody. I am uh, TED's science curator. As you know, my name mm -hmm. is David, and uh, I've been with TED a little over two years. Um, and what I do is help select and coach the uh, science speakers you see on the, the main TED stage and, and all the other TED events, whether that's a salon here in our New York mm -hmm. theater or, or elsewhere. I also get to collaborate on helping TEDx put together great science, and that's why I'm here today to help you guys do what I do and to let you know that uh, A, you should not be afraid of science, and B, we all have our struggles with it, even if, uh, even if I am the science curator at TED, sometimes even I can struggle with, uh, with assessing whether something is scientifically rigorous enough or not. So there's sort of uh, two components <clears throat> to curation I think we should talk about first. And one is certainly the curation aspect, um, isolating ideas that you want to bring to the stage, picking the right speakers as the vessel of those ideas. Um, but there's also a programming element, how each of those talks at the end of the day kind of fit into the larger program of a conference. Um, so the first question I want to ask is, how do you go about uh, even beginning to think about what to bring to the table and present to Chris and everybody <laughs> curating for TED? Well, I think, uh, you know, sometimes you're, you're starting with the speaker because maybe they're a little bit of a star or they've mm -hmm. made a kind of breakthrough uh, discovery. And you're like, well, this is the person who's discovered. Uh, this hasn't happened yet, by the way, but I'm going to use it as an example anyway. This is the person who has discovered dark matter. Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore, we need to put them on the stage so we can hear about uh, this breakthrough discovery. Or it might be, hey, the, the theme this year is, uh, is bigger than us. What could be bigger than us than dinosaurs? So the let's let's the yeah. universe exactly. Let's try to find someone with a with a compelling idea uh, mm -hmm. in that particular field. Uh, so I kind of come at it from those two directions. And uh, the good news with with science talks and my advantage over the other specialty curators is uh, scientists always kind of have an idea baked in. So you're mm -hmm. starting uh, you're not starting from scratch, whereas you might be with. Uh, uh, a, a more art-based talk or, mm -hmm. or a business-based talk. Um, so the scientist is, is working in a very specific frame of reference, and so that idea is, is, always, is always right there, and that's what I focus on. And sometimes those ideas are actually really, really dense, but sometimes, <laughs> you know, they can be kind of, they can actually be quite light. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of brings me to my second part two of this question. Um, how do you sort of balance this in a programming aspect? So um, I one of my favorite talks from TED 2018 this year was uh, Dan Gibson speaking about synthetic DNA. Um, but it's it's you can't have like a, you know, an 80 talk 
program filled with Dan Gibsons, right? Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit how you balance those things and how do you um, make that a better experience for a viewer? As much as I love, uh, you know, biological printers and synthetic DNA, that is a lot to sit through mm -hmm. for a, a multi-day program, mm -hmm. uh, as much as I hate to admit that. Uh, uh, so you do need to kind of balance that with the uh, the, the lighter stuff. And, and um, that could be anything like uh, how your brain responds to exercise, mm -hmm. which was a, a talk from a few uh, years ago that kind of got everybody up and moving in the audience um, which could have been uh, a little bit risky, a little bit uh, cheesy, but it actually worked uh, pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. And you want to mix up programming like that so that uh, the audience never quite knows uh, what to expect. Right. Uh, you know, that this isn't going to just be a dense science session where everything's going to go zooming over my head. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, therefore, I can skip that session because you don't want anybody kind of skipping these uh, skipping these talks. Um, and then when you are dealing with something that's kind of a denser subject matter, whether that be, you know, dark matter and, and astrophysics or, or biological printers or whatever it might be, you need to really coach the folks to uh, ease back on the jargon that yeah. they're most comfortable uh, speaking in. They kind of have their own unique language and you need to put that into plain uh, English or uh, whatever the, the native tongue of your uh, event might be. And, uh, and that is actually the hardest part of, uh, of working with scientists. They're just infinitely more comfortable speaking in their, in their native tongue, which is this kind of jargon specific to their field. And what's funny about that is, uh, you know, somebody who's a specialist in DNA can't understand an astrophysicist and vice versa. So they're so specialized that they can't even necessarily talk across disciplines. And so that's a good indicator that, man, do they need to kind of get to the plain English to reach a broader uh, audience. And that's that's what my coaching is there to do. And uh, this <clears throat> a talk that um, we recently spoke about was um, by Prasant Chakrabarti on blind cave fish. And this is like a very short, you know, five, six minute talk. Um, that got everybody laughing and excited about cave fish they'll never see. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I think it's, it's a really creative way to create a brain break in, in a program. Yeah. The key to that is uh, Prosanta's just passion for blind cave fish really, mm -hmm. really pulls you in. Um, and that's, I would say, one of the fundamental cores of a great uh, science talk is that you get access to the scientist's passion for the subject, whatever it might be, whether it's, you know, dark matter or blind cave fish. These are things that, uh, that you and I may not care at all about. And so the greatest way to get us to care about it is to show why that individual scientist cares about it, how they got involved, how, what, what drives them. I'm, I'm curious, how do you actually decide who the right person is? Um, have you ever had to say, like, this actually isn't the right person to bring this idea forward, whether it's because they're not quite there yet or they're not an astute communicator and you just can't get there in like eight months of coaching. Um, what, 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 is, uh, what is like an indicator for you to be like, all right, this is not the right time for this person? Um, and, you know, what do you, what do you do with that information once yeah. you realize it? Well, I think the, the number one indicator is if the person themselves is kind of not um, getting it really, not mm -hmm. getting what you're going for. Like, hey, maybe this is some very early stage uh, research, and so we need to frame it very carefully. Mm -hmm. Like, this could be true, not this is true. Um, and uh, if they're just not 
willing to go on that journey, um, mm-hmm. then that's a that's a big red flag for me. Um, and, and, and then sometimes you just have to say, well, you know what, we'll, we'll circle back to this. You know, I'm not sh- slamming the door shut forever, but it's not uh, the right time to, to put this on stage right now. Um, it could also be uh, a little bit the opposite of that, which is uh, uh, overpromising. Um, so I'm going to, with this breakthrough, we're going to cure cancer. We're mm-hmm. going to fly to Mars. We're going to uh, you know, spread across the universe. Whatever it might be, that's not going to happen tomorrow. And if, uh, if you're implying that in the talk, that's also uh, a big red flag uh, for me. And I'll try to coach you, coach you back from that uh, cliff's edge. Uh, and if you're not uh, willing to take that step back, then, then it's probably not the right time for that talk to, to happen. And the other thing I would say about who to put on stage is you really want the person who had the idea. Um, there are a lot, at least this is my personal preference. Now, sometimes you can go with the science communicator because they're a better speaker. Um, but the way I look at it is, I can make you a better speaker. Uh, I can't give you a better idea. Um, and so if you have the strong idea, you've you figured out how to detect dark matter, then mm-hmm. uh, that's the person that I want to put on stage, and I'll do everything that I can uh, to make them come across and make their passion come across, even if they are uh, kind of a shy, retiring, jargon-speaking uh, scientist. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and I, I also think that um, there is, like, the big idea talk. Um, and then there's also, you know, even the steps along the way. So speaking to members of a team mm-hmm. has a lot of value because it's not just poof one day it's here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a collection of, of brains and, and processes and years probably. Science is typically not a solitary pursuit despite our kind of uh, imagining of it, that there's some mm-hmm. kind of lone genius named David in a lab who's suddenly like, hey, the light bulb. Um, that's not how it works. It's usually a team of people mm-hmm. uh, kind of pooling all their talents and, uh, and knowledge together to make some kind of breakthrough. And if I could figure out a way to get kind of an entire scientific team to give a talk, um, that would be an achievement. And I feel like TEDx yeah. uh, could do that. Uh, but scientists are just people. They may be slightly smarter people, not always. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, this is accessible to everyone. Um, anybody can do this. Science is a method. It's not like some kind of magic that's, yeah. uh, that's happening somewhere else and you don't need to bother with it. Uh, and I think the more we yeah. can do to demystify it, the more we can kind of make, uh, science more a part of our, of our lives and, and, and keep it in its, its proper place. I mean, it's useful information for all of you as curators, but it's also useful information for all of us as viewers and consumers and people who take care of their own health. Um, and I think it's always important to reiterate that, yeah, you know, you, you know, we want to be cautious and responsible, um, but especially so around uh, health and, and yeah. medical content. People come to a TED Talk because, you know, they obviously hopefully want to learn more. Um, but if it's health related, um, it's oftentimes because they need health advice, and there are lots of resources out there, but TED is one of them uh, for sure. And so just like it's a part of our shared responsibility as a community, but also from our organization as a whole um, that we do have a social responsibility to viewers mm-hmm. um, in this way. Um, so there are two things you started when you first joined. One of those things were the TED Science Standards, which did not exist. We had guidelines as a community. Um, but the yeah. TED Science Standards was basically a framework for 
for Ted to publish publicly. Um, And the second thing uh, were the criticisms and updates. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... Ongoing. Pick one. I mean, it's ongoing (laughs) um, because uh, science is uh, is a discipline and it's ever-changing and evolving. Um, What... Give an example of a criticism and update that you you did recently or maybe Mm -hmm. one that you um, found really rewarding to work on. Okay. Uh, so the, the the science standards are are a new thing, and it's meant to kind of well, it has two purposes. One is to reassure the scientists that we're taking this uh, seriously, mm-hmm. because that has been uh, one of the the knocks on 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 the broader kind right. of TED uh, um, community, and then also to make it very clear to speakers what kind of uh, standards we're going to hold them to, and mm-hmm. that if you kind of fail to adhere to those. Uh, because every once in a while, a speaker will get up there on stage and 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 go rogue, as I like to say, yeah. and, and then that talk will not will not be posted. I I think something that's also really really so maybe we'll rewind a little bit in talking about this because um, there was a speaker, Lu Han Yan, at hmm. TED twenty eighteen, uh, that was doing really tenacious work, and it could have been kind of a crazy talk yes. but it wasn't it was really restrained um and really <laughs> thank you i think so um and um i want to hear a little bit about uh how you manage such a complex mm-hmm. kind of on the verge field right. um with the speaker so luhan uh is uh, attempting to create uh, if anybody's a fan of, of Margaret Atwood, pigoons, uh, essentially uh, pigs that would, would, would grow organs that can be transplanted uh, into humans. The primary barrier to that is a disease uh, that occurs in the pig genome called PERV. That's an acronym. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's using CRISPR, another acronym. See how quickly the jargon piles up mm-hmm. uh, uh, to edit out PERV so that potentially these uh, organs can be transplanted. Uh, so she's been doing a lot of scientific work on this. She also has a company related to it. And so there are kind of two things that you have to be careful of when you're dealing with somebody like that. One is overpromising. Uh, there are a lot of people in need of, a, of an organ transplant today. You don't want to give them uh, false hope, right? Like this is going to be available tomorrow. You also don't want Lujan uh, to kind of be selling um, from the stage, right? Mm-hmm. Like, not only is this a great idea, but this is the best company to deliver this yeah. idea. You want to keep it focused on the idea, not the company. Uh, and uh, I like to think that we threaded that needle, um, but there were some kind of uh, bumps along the way. Certainly, as you can imagine, Luhan uh, wanted to kind of extol the virtues not only of kind of the scientific breakthroughs involved, which which are worth extolling, but also uh, her uh, company's vision for how to kind of implement this on a broader scale. And we're obviously much more interested in the former than mm-hmm. the latter. Um, and fortunately, we didn't reach an impasse where she was like, no, you know what, that's really what I'm interested in talking about. And then we would have had to say, okay, well, love your work, but uh, we can't put you up on, on stage to sell a company. Mm-hmm. Um, she, was, she got it, right, and delivered a, a beautiful talk. And so if Luhan had, for example, stood up and, 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 and done a different talk and talked about her company and how great it was, we just, that would have happened mm-hmm. and been in the room, but we would not have posted that um, online. So that's what the standards are there for, right. kind of to set, lay a framework for everybody. 
I want to talk a little bit about opportunity spaces for TEDx specifically. You know, TED can't necessarily have a Russian-only speaker on their mm-hmm. stage and give a talk to 2,000 people in Vancouver. Um, that there's um, there are opportunities in in local research facilities and Absolutely. labs and and institutions and um, and that's you know really a huge opportunity space for everyone um, scattered around the world to explore. Um, and one that I'm super excited about. Like I think that's one of the great things about the TEDx uh, community, which uh, can put on these mm-hmm. amazing events in in Kazakhstan and uh, and give us give the world access to some ideas uh, that we would not otherwise have access to. And uh, that really is kind of the you know to use the the mantra uh, mm-hmm. ideas worth spreading. That's that's what we're trying to do here. And uh, there are as many. Ideas were spreading probably in Kazakhstan as there are in Missouri, mm-hmm. where I come from. Uh, it's just that it's much easier for me to find them in Missouri right. than Kazakhstan. What are your go-tos in terms yeah. of resources? There is a, uh, a bit of a, a publishing crisis uh, mm-hmm. going on in science, actually. So, you, uh, you know, uh, publication does not necessarily kind of give the stamp of uh, mm-hmm. authority that it used to. Um, so I, there's a great service here in the in the U.S. Uh, called Eureka Alert. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Eureka Alert. Ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> but it's meant to be kind of covering all of the science coming from all the different uh, uh, research institutions here in the United States and even abroad uh, okay. because a, a lot of folks have found this platform. It's, it's, it's free. It's publicly accessible. Um, and you can just kind of uh, scroll through there and look via location, via discipline, via particular scientist's name, and you will uh, pop up a lot of uh, either press releases or actual uh, publications. And and that can be a fantastic resource, uh, whether you're searching for a candidate or vetting uh, a candidate that you found locally. Um, Then there are the major journals, although they they also don't have a perfect track record, so it's not kind of uh, 100% uh, guaranteed that if you get someone from science or Nature, which are probably the top two science mm-hmm. journals in the world, that it's going to uh, hold up over the long haul. Uh, but those are great places to look. And again, you can search um, in those ways. And then you can get into the more kind of specialized uh, journals, um, whether it's like the British, British Medical Journal or the European Geosciences Union. Um, your local national academies of science can often be a great resource for that as well. Um, and then there's just kind of hanging out at, uh, at your local university or, uh, or wherever and, uh, and finding the folks who are doing interesting work uh, wherever it mm-hmm. is you, you happen to be. Um, and your work doesn't really stop. Once you've kind of found them on Eureka Alert, yes, and definitely life. not. That's just <laughs> the beginning. Uh, it's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, you know, keeping them on track is is really your full time. Yeah, attention. The work of the work of curation that right. really is. I think of it as framing, even if that might be a little bit of, of jargon. It's like you got to um, make sure that the research is presented in the exact appropriate context right so is this very early stage research and may or may not prove out or is this kind of rock solid uh is this the person who knows about the subject or is this a person who knows about the subject um or is this just a reporter who happened to do a story about the subject those are all very different things Mm -hmm. and the audience um both in the room and online needs to be aware of the appropriate context 
But you don't want them to be making kind of definitive uh, uh, statements about, particularly in the area of health, um, uh, in an area outside of their expertise, unless it's framed, again, appropriately, like, hey, this is my speculation. The continents might be drifting. Mm-hmm. Um, not the continents are drifting, and I'm a me- meteorologist, and, and, and that this is how I'll prove it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, the red circle, for better or worse, um, uh, brings out the desire to make definitive statements uh, and to make sweeping claims and to overpromise and all these other kind of pitfalls that science speakers mm-hmm. kind of fall into all the time. And it's your job as a curator to keep them out of those of those traps. Uh, believe it or not, there will be knowledgeable people who watch that talk and then are like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. uh, you know, aquatic apes are are not a thing, mm-hmm. right? I'm a paleoanthropologist and that's just not a thing. It's not true. Um, mm. And then uh, you look bad, the speaker looks bad, um, the event uh, loses a little bit of its credibility. It's just not a great situation to be in. Mm-hmm. It's you can cope with it. I mean, you you deal with it as you as you have to, but it's it's a situation you want to avoid if you can. That's really helpful. Do you have any thoughts on how young curators can coach science experts they want on their stage? Right. That that leads to kind of a power imbalance uh, that then it becomes quite difficult maybe to say to the most eminent physicist at your uh, university, ah, you know, you don't quite uh, cut it. But unfortunately, you that is what you have to be able to do. Um, that's the job of the curator. If, the, if that said eminent physicist is uh, wanting to uh, uh, go off on a tangent about that is, uh, you know, kind of unsupported by evidence, uh, you know, you have to be able to uh, be brave and uh, and take that step. Trust me, uh, I've worked with uh, Nobel Prize winners. I have never won a Nobel Prize. Uh, I'm very intimidated by those people. They obviously know way more than I do. Uh, but at the same time, I do know what works uh, on a TED stage. And I also know what I can understand, which is a good clue for what a general audience can understand. Uh, and and that may not be something that uh, that even a Nobel Prize winner is is quite as cognizant of. Uh, so my advice uh, to the youth would be uh, kind of a follow your curiosity, you know, kind of your possibly in that university setting. Just kind of what are the things that intrigue you? Who are the professors you've you've heard a lot about? Or you know, and just follow those uh, uh, kind of curiosity driven curation, which is also uh, kind of how science is done. Uh, and then, but then also, uh, don't be afraid to, uh, you know, to address that uh, power imbalance. And, and you're the curator. You, it's in the end, it's your show, and you have to uh, be comfortable with everything that's going on that stage. David, thanks so much for sharing your curation insights. It's really important to be diligent when priming science talks for the stage, and you've really given us some great examples. And uh, we hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Good luck out there. We hope you enjoyed listening to how David curates science talks here at TED. And we'd love to hear about your own process on the TEDx Hub. Thank you for listening to Solving for X.